Blog Talk Radio. Yes, you're in the right place. If you have a behaviorally challenging child and you've learned that the usual way of doing things is not getting the job done for your child, you are definitely in the right place. This is Dr. Ross Green coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance in beautiful, sunny, spring-like Portland, Maine. Um, and that's what we do on this program every uh, week, September through May, through May. We talk about the model of care I originated in my book, The Explosive Child, and elaborated on in my book, Lost at School, now called Collaborative and Proactive Solutions, or CPS. And uh, why did I originate the model? Because I found that for a lot of kids and their families, Um, the standard reward and punishment approach and the standard view of why challenging kids are challenging. And you know how that goes. Their parents are passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent disciplinarians, and the kids themselves are attention-seeking, manipulative, coercive, unmotivated, limit-testing, etc. Long time ago, it dawned on me that that wasn't working very well for a lot of families and kids. And uh, collaborative and proactive solutions is what we have to show for it. And on this program, we talk about that model. People sometimes call in. That number is 347-994-2981. And people email in all kinds of questions, and we, we do the email questions if nobody calls in. And uh, that's what we do. On this program. Now we only have today and next Monday, May 19th, left for this. We've been calling it our broadcast season, but that sounds a little too official. Um, but we're going to, we always take the summer off, and since May 26th is Memorial Day here in the United States, um, May 19th will be our last program until September. Hard to imagine, but true. Uh, If you email questions in over the summer, I'll answer them um, when we come back in the fall. But today's a good day to call in, 347-994-2981, if you have a question that you need answered or if you're wondering about uh, any part of helping and understanding your behaviorally challenging child. So here we go. I'm going to get the ball rolling here with some questions. We'll see if anybody calls in today. Haven't had any calls lately. Um, not. Oh, we do. Wow. The minute that came out of my mouth, we've got a caller. Callers always take priority on the program. So here we go. Area code 620. You are on the air. What's on your mind today? Good morning, Dr. Green. I'm a return caller. Good. Several times over. <laughs> Good. I have... Two wonderful sons, now 11 and 9, and I, uh, my family and I have been following your model for about a year and a half. All good. And th- things continue to go well. 
And even when they don't, my husband and I are much more at peace with knowing that it's on its way. Stability is on its way. Um, my uh, 11-year-old son, I usually call with questions for you about him, but today I'm actually calling in regards to younger brother, who is nine. Cool. Um, he is, as most siblings are, the complete opposite of my 11-year-old, who the 11-year-old is very explosive. Um, my 9-year-old is implosive. And I have just noticed, and I think it's because, I, of course, I put the blame on myself and my husband. We have paid so much attention to the elderly explosive older brother that the younger brother has been left a little bit to his own devices, even though we have included him as often as possible um, in family communication when issues come up. But recently, because he is a, he's quite an athlete, he's on a traveling baseball team for nine-year-olds, it's become apparent that when things go wrong, either with the coaches or a teammate or a classmate or here at home, uh, my nine-year-old holds on and runs away and goes and, and then the minute that something else happens, like with Big Brother, then he does, of course, like a time bomb pop out. So I guess my question is, I remember reading in The Explosive Child about, and hearing you talk in different radio interviews about how children implode as well. My question is, does that change the Plan B conversation at all when addressing a child that holds on tightly? The quick answer, no. Um, what I sometimes talk about is what I call the spectrum of looking bad. I think you've heard me talking about that before. And the spectrum of looking bad consists of all of the things kids and other human beings do when the demands being placed upon them outstrip the skills they have to respond adaptively to those demands. And that could be anything from whining and pouting and sulking and withdrawing and crying to screaming and swearing or hitting and spitting and biting to things that are even more severe. But what a child does when he's looking bad, what a child does when he's lacking the skills to respond adaptively to the demands and expectations that are being placed upon him, really doesn't distinguish one behaviorally challenging kid from another. I do find that adults tend to get more frustrated and worried by um, the explosive type stuff. But you're right. I've always said that you want to do the CPS model with the imploders too because just it's just a different way of letting us know, different way of communicating that they're having trouble meeting our expectations. So you're still going to need the list of lagging skills, and you know maybe fewer of them will apply, but you'll still need your assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. You still want to get to know your younger son through the prism of lagging skills, um, and you still want to make a list of unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion 
challenging episodes so that you can talk about them proactively. Um, it's interesting. It sounds like he holds it in and then lets it out, but the fact that he's holding things in doesn't mean that the unsolved problems aren't there. It just means that, uh, and, and by the way, this is why I've sometimes said a little jokingly that I sometimes prefer the exploders. It's really more of a joke. I, I'll take any challenging kid and try to help them. But right. one of the, if there's a nice thing about an exploder, it's that they do tend to let you know something's up. Um, and so there aren't many secrets. With imploders, um, you tend to hear about it later, but my bet is that you've heard enough about enough unsolved problems later to be able to make your list of unsolved problems and start working on them proactively, even though what he's mostly doing is imploding. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And as I've, as I've started using the alpha for my youngest son, the interesting thing that I notice is that there are so many parallels as to what causes him to react that way. That to my other son. It's that almost, and then, and then my, my oldest son has an issue. I used to say he has an issue with uh, everything has to be perfect. He, he can't lose a game. And what I figured out over the last few months of, uh, with the empathy step with him, it's really he doesn't have the tools to deal with disappointment in whichever way it manifests itself. So when we're working on losing a game, you know, we're, we, I get really detailed now with him with setting up a plan B and going proactively into situations that might set him up. And what I realize now is that with my youngest son, it's the exact same thing. I've just never set it up proactively for him. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And this is why um, I and others often say that what a kid looks like when he's looking bad is the least important part. I, I get that, you know, if he's putting holes in your walls, that's not unimportant. But um, it doesn't tell you what skills he's lacking, and it doesn't tell you what unsolved problems are setting in motion challenging episodes. And that really, those really are the most important pieces of information. Um, but isn't that fascinating that you have two guys there who let you know they're frustrated or that something's getting in their way in completely different ways, generally speaking, still have some of the very same unsolved problems. Yeah, it, they're the exact same. And I'm, I'm really um, just talking to you and just being reminded about um, taking care of this proactively because we've got lots of baseball games coming up that, that we can sit down with him and put a plan into place for practice or for games or whatever very specifically, you know, to see if we can find a, a solution that works for him in the heat of the moment. And, um, you know, I just, I had completely forgotten about being proactive. <laughs> it's, Hysterical. Oh, it's, it's, easy to for, it's, it's easy to forget about being proactive, you know, life goes on. But it's, it's you know, it's our, like, mode of operation for our oldest son. Anything that we know coming up in the day that could potentially be something that gets, that outstrips his ability to deal with it. We take care of it proactively from talking to him and setting up some solutions and talking to teachers. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really, I, I can see this so much more clearly now that we've hit uh, a point of 
of intense imploding with my other son. Hmm. So I'm uh, I'm really grateful uh, to have this reminder. So thank you. And, and you've got a few years of practice under your belt, so hopefully that practice will serve you well with your imploder. Yeah, yeah. And my both my sons still refer to um, any time that my husband and I try to lay a line down in the sand, um, you know, kind of imposing our will, they'll both call us on it immediately and say, Mom, Dad, you're going plan A on us. Please don't Hysterical. do this. Let's talk about it. So, yeah, it's it's part of our... It's it's part of our lexicon here at home now. So. It sounds like it, and you know some some parents might not be so happy about that. As long as your sons and you and your husband understand that having expectations is completely different than doing Plan A. Plan A yeah. is when you are solving a problem unilaterally. Having an expectation is having an expectation. So as long as you all recognize. Parents are still allowed to have expectations. That's that's oh, yeah. part of your job. Then we're in good shape. Yeah, no, we we clarify that when when needed. You know, like when it's time for an immunization or something. We say no. It's our responsibility as a good parent to follow through on this. It doesn't feel good, but here we go. And you know, so yeah, we we keep that clear. But it's interesting because occasionally I, I'd like to think that. It happens with my husband more than with me, but occasionally we do get called on, and it's like, oh, yeah, we are just kind of saying this because this is what we grew up hearing, and we're just keeping it going. And so it's a, it's a nice balance, though. I can, well, it's I can say our, our family I think a lot life of, is... Go ahead, sorry. Our family life is much, much improved, just the well, communication. Well, music to my ears. So, yeah, um, absolutely. You, you were going to say... I, I actually forgot what I was going to say. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. What you said was more important. Um, what was what I was thinking as you were talking there briefly was wanting to having the expectation of immunizations is an expectation. If your sons go along happily, then you don't need a plan. If your sons do not go along happily, as my daughter did back in the day. Um, then it's time for plan B. Many people would say then it's time for plan A, right? You just make them. But my daughter got her immunizations um, without use of plan A. She was worried that the immunization would hurt. Of course, that's the main. Actually, it could be a variety of different concerns, but that was hers. She did not like the idea of the needle going into her skin. I can't say that I'm real keen on it myself. And back in the day, they had this wonderful little product called Emla Cream that numbed the area where the needle was going to go in. Actually, I think it was not an immunization. I think it was getting her blood taken, but sort of the same principle, still a needle, still going into you. Um, yeah. And that's how we solved the problem. So wanting your kid to get blood drawn or wanting your kid to have an immunization that's an expectation, but no plan yet, and no plan needed if your kid goes along willingly and doesn't balk. But if your kid does not go along willingly and does balk, now you have an unsolved problem. Now you have three options, A, B, C. A, still sometimes practiced in some offices of pediatricians and family physicians where, where, where they'll pin the kid to the table and out comes the blood, but um, yeah. I found that Plan B worked a whole lot better on that one. And, of course, 
if this is not one that you can set aside, you feel strongly that the immunization should be had or that the blood should be taken, um, Plan C is not going to be an option. So really it's A and B, but just to stick along the lines of clarity here, uh, the expectation is you're getting your immuni- I'd like you, we, we would like you to get your immunization. No plan needed if your kid says, okay. And my son likes seeing the blood come out of his arm, so we've never had an issue there. Right? He sort of sits there and watches it. Even I have to turn my head, and I'm hoping I've got you know, one of the people who are really good at this so I can't, don't even notice that the needle has gone in or that they're even done. Um, but my son likes watching the blood come out of his arm. Maybe that's diagnostic, too. My daughter was a completely different story. And here's, here's proof that um, there's hope that sometimes Plan B um, can get you there. These days, she's willing to get her blood taken without Emla cream. So hmm. something good happened along the way. Good. Well, it's, yeah, we had a, an interesting situation with flu shots in January. And I happened to be out of town, and my husband had a plan B with, with our oldest son. And we went, started out going to the pediatrician's office to get it. And then in the pediatrician's office, my son asked my husband for a separate, a different solution. He wanted to go to the pharmacy to get it because the year before we had gotten it at the pharmacy. And then at the pharmacy, he, he had his sleeve rolled up. The pharmacist was rubbing alcohol on his shoulder. And he said, nope. I changed my mind. I completely don't want to do it. And my husband actually went plan C on it because he knows that we've got some uh, immunity-boosting supplements. And it worked out because he was the only one in the family that didn't get a flu shot and was the only one that didn't get the stomach flu. Oh, hysterical. <laughs> so he was the champ on that decision. <laughs> so, well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation and just continue to thank you and sing your praises. and. Always good to hear from you. I appreciate you calling in, and um, don't be a stranger next fall when we start up again. I hope to not be teaching Mondays at at 10 a.m. Central so that I can call up more often. But uh, if you do, I, you can I always, always listen to the archives. I do. That, I did that this morning. So thank you so Great. much for your time. Have a good summer. You too. Bye. Take care. Good to hear from folks. Uh, No one else standing by here, so I'm going to turn our attention to some of our email questions. Dr. Green, I've been reading your book, Lost at School. It addresses medication, and I thank you for helping me with that issue. I have another issue. My child is very bright, reads on a 12th grade level at the age of 8. I'm wondering, do I make him aware of the fact that he has lagging skills and deficits? I recently got a book called A Child's Guide to ASD. I assume that means Autism Spectrum Disorders. In it provides a positive approach to self-discovery and ASD. While I hate labels and diagnoses, uh, I know he has been present this whole time, hearing me advocate for him nonstop on the phone at school throughout the day. I, wonder, I just wonder if he knows why and would or could that help. Uh, Great question. Um, Something that comes up sometimes is what do we tell kids about their lagging skills and unsolved problems? And um, here's the cool part about lagging skills and unsolved problems. They aren't diagnoses. They aren't labels. Um, Kid has to be brought into the loop on unsolved problems because we need the child to help us solve them. Um, So no secrets there. Um, 
on the lagging skills, they aren't labels. They aren't diagnoses. They're just things that we're working on and things that he's not quite so good at. And I find that we do that with kids and that it can be done in a sensitive way on lots of different skills that they might be lacking. They might need a little practice hitting a baseball. They might need a little practice in reading. They might need a little practice in spelling. Those are things they just might not be quite as good at in as other things. And they might not be so good at uh, handling um, the feelings that come along with frustrations. They might not be quite so good at shifting gears. At a very early age, I was telling my son that it looked like he wasn't didn't have such an easy time dealing with surprises. Um, so I think that the nice thing about the lagging skills is that they aren't diagnoses and they aren't um, labels. They're the real deal. Um, so once again, you're not keeping any secrets on the unsolved problems anyways because they've got to be out there for the child to know what it is that we're going to be working on. And I think that kids can be told um, many different things about their strengths and some of their differences and difficulties. And um, I think we can put the lagging skills in terms that kids can not only understand, but there's an outstanding likelihood that they will actually agree with us. And if they don't agree with us, that it's a skill that they're lacking, well, that's grist for the discussion mill. So it's all good. Here's an email from one of our listeners uh, related to the first caller. Um, I understand it's difficult to have two challenging children. We also had one child who was explosive and one who was implosive. Good for you for being responsive to the hand you've been dealt. They both need your understanding, time, and attention. I know it's hard, but recognizing that your younger son needs your help at this age will make life better for him as he gets older. What a nice email from one of our listeners. And, um, boy, I couldn't have put it better myself. Shall we keep going with some email? Um, this, this is one that I'm just going to read. It's a nice one. Uh, we read these sometimes on here, not, not to... Um, not to uh, inflate our egos, just because it's kind of nice to pass some of this along. Dr. Green found your name when searching for different behavior ideas for my son. Oh, my goodness, just what we needed. Thanks for your insight. I have read The Explosive Child and also have emailed teachers to remind them of the mindset we must change to. You said it so clearly, and it was like, and I was like, I can't believe that I, as his, as his mom, have not come to such realizations. We are just in the beginning stages, and yes, my child is not very verbal, can't have conversations, so we will have to be more creative, but I am hopeful. Just have no idea as to the thinking you have opened for me, and I hope to his teachers as well. Thanks so much. You are so welcome. And by the way, the subject line on this email was, son who is seven with dyspraxia, apraxia, and developmental delay. You're very welcome. Um, that's why we're here, and uh, that's why we do what we do. And thank you so much for taking the time to write. Let's see what else we got here. Hang on one second here. We have another caller. Let's uh, check in with area code 978. How are you today, and what's going on? Hi, Dr. Green. 
Um, I have a – hello? Can you hear me? I'm right here, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I, I have a six-year-old daughter who is um, uh, somewhat explosive. I've been listening to your program here, and for for many months now, I've attended one of your seminars, and I've and I listened to the abridged version of your book on Audible. Audible. I haven't actually read the entire thing yet. Um, I, a, anyways, the the question I have is about um, how to how to uh, deal with Plan C. I understand that that uh, Plan B is the desired way to to proactively deal with problems, but when we fill out our our ALSIP, the uh, you know that we we make we make we keep on trying to start this process, and we make a long list of all the unsolved problems, and then we pick the three that we want to work on, and then the other ones come up, and and we want to put them onto Plan C, but then it kind of it, it we have a hard time letting go uh me my, I'm, my wife and i are, are working on this together um and we were wondering if you had any any uh, counsel or or uh suggestions for how to how to let things go into plan c like one one specific example would be like in the mornings you know we we have she might have a hard time getting ready for school and we we want to give we have an expectation of getting her ready for school so she can catch the bus. But if she doesn't do that, um, we then have to, someone has to drive her to school and, and it, it's not, it, it's hard to let that, that be flexible there. I understand. Here's, here's the interesting thing. Um, there's a ragged period that often takes place when people, first start doing plan B, and I, I can't quite tell how long you all have been doing it. Um, there's a ragged period because, you know, you really have to prioritize because if you try working on everything at once, you're not going to get anything solved at all. And so there's a fair amount of unsolved problems that we're plan seeing early on. And that means that even though we've prioritized some of the big ones and those are the ones we're working on, there, there may be some pretty big ones in there that we're not working on right now. And that can be hard and it can be ragged in the beginning. As, you're, as I'm sure you're aware, the ultimate goal is to get some of the ones that we've put in Plan B solved and take, then take some of the ones that we initially used plan C for, you know, not ones we initially set aside, and put them into plan B so that we can get to them as quickly as possible. So with some families, um, in a scenario like the one that you've described, sometimes we are revisiting whether the unsolved problems that we initially prioritized, um, whether things need a little reconfiguring, whether some of the ones we initially prioritized may not be as important as some of the ones that we initially decided to set aside. So that can happen as sort of a bit of a shuffling of the priorities so that things that were in C are now in B and some of the ones that were in B are now in C. Um, but here's another thing about Plan C. Plan C means that you're not 
solving the problem right now. You're setting it aside. But I have often talked about proactive plan B and proactive plan C in the same breath because um, plan C can be done emergently. Plan C can also be done proactively. And so proactive plan C is where we're not actually solving the problem of your daughter waking up on time in the morning and getting ready for school in time. Those might be two separate unsolved problems. I'm not sure. We're not solving that right now because we're not working on right now because we've put it plan C. But that doesn't mean we can't come up with a temporary interim plan for what life is going to look like while we're not working on that problem yet. And so two things. Number one, you might want to reconsider shuffling unsolved problems a little bit. But number two, even if you're not even if you keep the getting ready for school on time in the morning unsolved problem, even if you keep it in plan C, um, you may want to come up with an interim plan with your daughter so that what life is going to look like on the days where she's having difficulty getting ready for school on time. You've you've removed that expectation. And what's life going to look like until we can get around to solving that problem? Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, yes. That's my quick and dirty answer without, as always on this program, without knowing your situation as comprehensively as I might like. That's, that's the generic answer that I would give. Um, it's possible that I would give a different answer if, if I knew about things that mitigating circumstances that would cause me to think differently about it, but there's the generic answer. You may need to reshuffle. You may need to come up with an interim plan, but there's always a ragged period where even if you have your priorities exactly right, there's things you very much wish that you could be working on right now that you're not working on right now because you just can't work on so many things at once. And as soon as you get some of those things, unsolved problems in Plan B solved, you'll be able to turn your attention to the ones in Plan C, but that shouldn't prevent you from coming up with an interim plan for the things that are presently in Plan C. Sound good? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. I think the, the, uh, the problem that, uh, my wife and I have been having is that we keep on hitting that where we start the prop, we start trying to do plan B, hit the ragged period, get frustrated, and then uh, fall back into plan A. And then we, and, and that's kind of, we need to get past that and work, be more consistently plan B. It can be ragged early on, and um, some folks aren't quite prepared for that, but it, it's better. My attitude is better to have it be ragged than to continue trying to work on everything at once and having nothing to show for it. I'll take I'll take ragged over that, even though ragged's a little tough. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much. Call in any time. Well, we're getting some good calls today. We're talking about some important stuff. We do not have a caller standing by, so I'm going to go back to the email. Dr. Green, I just tried Plan B with my 12-year-old son for the first time with some success. Good. Uh, To help me on future occasions, you give a lot of advice on drilling with those children who struggle to talk about an unsolved problem, but my son is almost the opposite. 
He told me loads of things he finds frustrating about bedtime, the unsolved problem, but then wanted to tell me in great detail about several other unsolved problems and then gets frustrated when I want to return to the first unsolved problem. I let him talk for 10 minutes about problem number one, then 10 minutes about other problems. Any thoughts on non-confrontational ways to get him to stay with the issue? Another great question. Um, Yeah, I do have some thoughts on that. Uh, it's it's significant that you said that this was the first plan B. It's very common on the first plan B for that first plan B to open the spigot and to hear about way more than just the unsolved problem you started with. Um, it is a judgment call in any plan B whether to uh, roll with the other things the child wants to talk about or whether to keep things on track with the first, with the unsolved problem that you began with. But I would say that in early Plan Bs, where we are in spigot opening mode, you probably want to err in the direction of letting the child talk, even though it's not the thing. And I know you went for 10 minutes on it. Um, but the goal, w- w- in early Plan Bs, and quite frankly, in later Plan Bs as well, in early Plan Bs you hear about a bunch of stuff that you hadn't been hearing about because the spigot may have been closed. We want to let the kid know the spigot is wide open. And so um, early on you're likely to hear about way more than you bargained for. I do find that that tends to taper off a bit, Um, as time goes on, because, you know, two or three or four plan Bs in, um, the spigot has been opened. You've now heard all of the things that your child had um, stored up for you. Um, And then it becomes a little bit easier for your child to stick with the unsolved problem that you began the plan B with um, once he's gotten a lot off of his chest and a lot of the things that he may have been holding in that he has now verbalized. So um, I would say in early plan Bs, you want to err in the direction of letting him talk, um, safe in the knowledge that once um, he gets a lot of that out of his system, he'll have an easier time sticking with what you ran with, with the unsolved problem you began with. Now, one other little point about that. Always want to be open to the possibility that in any plan B, we will stumble across information in the empathy step that lets us know that there's an unsolved problem that is even more important to work on or even bigger than the one we started with. So um, while it's certainly fine as a judgment call to bring the child back to the unsolved problem that got plan B going in the first place, um, you always want to leave room for the possibility that um, you're going to hear about something that um, you didn't know about. And if we're trying too hard to keep the child on track with the unsolved problem we began with, there's actually a possibility we'll miss something really important. So what I seem to be saying here is it's quite a balance um, You want to keep the spigot wide open on early plan Bs. You can always come back um, to it the next day. 
you want to keep the spigot open even on later plan Bs when there's, um, the kid has had an opportunity to say what's on his mind um, because you never know what you're going to hear, and what you hear may be even more important than what you started with. How's that? Let's go back to more email. I'm just checking to see if we have any other callers. We don't. We only have about eight minutes left today. This program's flying by today. I don't know if it is for you all as well as me. Here's another email. Uh, okay. Hi, I was shown your site by a friend, and I found your approach fascinating. Good. We are going through a particularly difficult period with our 15-year-old son. Things of daily life, getting up in the morning, brushing teeth, helping with homework, very poor school results, and more important things. Doesn't always keep appointments, arrives two hours late, misses school to hang around with friends, leaves home without permission, and goes sleeping at a friend's house. Um, My question is, How can you help him see that it is best for everyone if he is reliable and we can trust him? We do not want, and it doesn't work anyways, to continue in a reward-punishment circle, cycle I might say. How do we find a win-win solution so that he comes home on time, for example? Thank you for your answer. My pleasure. Um, I'm glad you found the website. Take the tour. Take the guided tour for parents. It's in the parents section, Um, the walking tour, we call it. It's going to walk you through, if you haven't already, the three main components of the model. And it's going to take a little time, going to take a little time um, to see all the streaming video in that section of the website and listen to the audio programming. What you'll hear is me saying, you need a list of unsolved problems. And here's the cool part. You've already made a list of unsolved problems. You've included it in your email. Um, Difficulty getting up in the morning to go to school. Difficulty brushing your teeth. Difficulty helping out with housework. That might need a little bit more specifics because um, it's the different aspects of housework that he's having difficulty doing that we'd want to be specific about. Those would be different unsolved problems. Very poor school results is a bit clumped as well. You'll learn that word in the, um, on the tour in the Identify Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems section. Um, difficulty keeping appointments might need to be a little bit more specific. Difficulty uh, arriving to things on time, we might need to be more specific about that. Difficulty attending school sounds like a pretty specific one. Um, difficulty asking for permission to leave home and sleep at a friend's house. So some of these are actually pretty specific already. What you're going to learn in the third section of the tour, you're going to learn how to word unsolved problems in the second section of the guided tour, but in the third section, you're going to learn how to solve problems collaboratively and um, get out of a reward-punishment cycle. And it's going to help you understand in very explicit terms how you do Plan B and come up with a win-win solution. Where will your concern that it's best for everyone if he is reliable and can be trusted be expressed in the define the problem step of Plan B? Um, that's where you'll let him know why you think that's best and how that would, you feel that it would work out best for everyone. 
Um, it's it's an uh, important concern and one you would definitely want to express, and you're going to get that concern addressed with a win-win solution. But before we get there, we need to hear, and you'll learn all of this if you don't know what already, we need to hear his concerns about each of those unsolved problems in the empathy step of Plan B, because otherwise we are at very high risk for only addressing your concerns, and these problems, as you've now noticed, are going to remain unsolved if we don't make sure that we understand and address his concerns as well. So uh, have a nice hike on that guided tour um, for parents. There's just a ton of information waiting for you there. And, of course, you're always welcome to call into the program, next week especially, because after that we'll be off for the summer, if you have any questions about what you learn on the website, which I am delighted, once again, that you found. Let's see if we have time for one more question. All right, that one might take a little bit longer than some of the others. Uh, I think I actually already answered this one, but I'm going to read it just so that the person knows, the person who wrote it knows we got it and knows that we answered it. But it's similar to one that I've already uh, talked about. What's the best way to explain to a child with lagging skills and a social language communication disorder that he or she has a problem? While it is my view that all children have lagging skills, very true, some more than others, also true, I find it heartbreaking that I have to be forced to blame my son rather than society and the, educa- and the educational system that, it's serious, that is seriously lacking the supports it claims to have. I tried very hard to give the paperwork from Lives in the Balance to my child's school, and their response was that I need to talk with my child about following the rules. Hmm, I'm sorry that happened. The bigger issue for me is my child's view of himself in all of this mess and what I can do about it. I'm reading your book and following the steps. Thank you so much for these wonderful discovery tools. Actually, I'm glad I read that one all the way through because I think I might actually like to comment on it here in our last two minutes of the program. This will probably be the last one we can do today. Um, Here's the cool part about the lagging skills. They're non-blaming. The other cool part is that it's not tragic, as you were saying, for kids to know that there's skills every kid lacks and skills every kid and skills different skills that kids have. Every kid has a mix of things that they are pretty good at and things that they aren't too good at. And your child's no different. So that's not a terrible discussion to have. And in having that discussion, um, it can certainly be had in a way, and I think that you're going to be able to do this just because of what you're saying in your email. So it's not blaming your child for the difficulties he's having. It's just letting your child know um, about his relative strengths and relative limitations or inefficiencies. And the good news is those limitations and inefficiencies can be worked on. And we can also let your son know that you are trying very hard to help the people at school know about his lagging skills and that you're trying to help them work with him in a way 
that will help him and that you haven't quite been very successful at that yet because it's a little new for folks and they're not always accustomed to seeing the world this way, but you're going to give it the old college try. I think um, that that is a very productive discussion to have with your son. And um, I'm very sorry that um, the school's response to your efforts to enlighten them about lagging skills and unsolved problems was met with, you need to have a talk with your child about following the rules. Sorry about that. Let me be a little encouraging here as we end the program. Not everybody is able to hear this stuff because their ears aren't always wide open in the beginning. Don't give up. You probably don't need me saying this to you, but this is your kid we're talking about here. And um, if Lives in the Balance can be helpful in any other way, you let us know. It's going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening in. I'll be back next week with our last program of this broadcast season. Talk to you then.